0: Let us pray. O gracious God, come near to us once more. Fill our hearts and our minds with your spirit and pour your grace upon us to draw us ever nearer to yourself and to plant your word into our hearts, this word that your spirit has inspired, has revealed. And let our eyes see Jesus and our focus to be put more upon him each day. We ask this all through that same Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. We are set in the midst of many grave dangers. That's what our collect of the day says this morning. You know that we are set in the midst of many grave dangers. And it says that Almighty God knows us. He knows what kind of dangers are around us. Isn't that something to consider, something to think about? The dangers surround us, but we don't always feel those dangers. We don't always recognize them or know about them, but they're there. Many grave dangers are are around us. Yet, this prayer, is it not a prayer of comfort? That though it says that we are in the midst of many grave dangers, it says that God knows this. God knows that we are in the midst of these dangers. They're truly dangerous. And it goes on to say that our frailty means that we cannot stand upright. Our frailty is that brokenness in our human nature, that sinfulness, that sin nature that we carry with us. No matter where we go, it is always there. We cannot remain consistent in who we are intended to be in Christ by our own means. We are frail and fragile creatures at the end of the day. Yes, creatures. We don't always think of ourselves that way, in that using that term, I'm a creature. I mean, we think of our pets as creatures. We think of animals as mere creatures. But that word creatures is nothing to be ashamed of, even though we tend to use it in a way to separate us from the rest of the animal kingdom. We use it to separate us from everything else. But the word creature in and of itself just merely means created. We are created beings after all, are we not? God created us. He spoke and we came into being. He molded dirt into the man Adam and breathed into him and he came to life. All of creation is a creature in that sense because it is created by God. He spoke and each part of creation came into existence. We didn't bring ourselves into being. We didn't will ourselves into existence. Someone else did. Again, a source of comfort, I believe, to recognize That as mere creatures we are frail. That we live in a broken world that is filled with grave dangers. But God knows it. God knows the dangers that we live in the midst of. He is the God of comfort for us. He is the God who is drawing near to us. He is the God who desires to bring us comfort. And we see in our text today from the Gospel of Mark, we see that Jesus' authority over all things is meant to bring us to the city of comfort. Jesus exercises his authority in many ways in this text, and that exercise of authority is to bring us into the city of comfort, that place of comfort. To bring us into the very presence of God where we receive the fullness of comfort. And the first thing that happens in this text is they went into Capernaum. That doesn't seem like a big deal, does it? Capernaum is where Jesus does lots of ministry. It's a city near the Sea of Galilee. It makes sense that they would be there. Some of the disciples are from Capernaum, from that area. But Capernaum is a neat name for this city because it's very Hebrew. It has this Hebrew name, which is just simply carried over into Greek, which is then just basically carried over into English. And so our English word, Capernaum, is almost exactly the Hebrew version of it. In Hebrew, it's something along the lines of Kafir Nahum. The first part, Kafir, meaning city of or village of. Nahum, the prophet Nahum, comes from that same root. And it means comfort or consolation. And so this city that they enter into is the city of comfort and consolation. They go into the city of comfort. And there in that city, Jesus is going to bring comfort to the people. He's going to speak and cast out a demon, an unclean spirit, and bring comfort to the people there. Comfort something that we always need. That these people here on this Sabbath day at the synagogue, didn't realize the kinds of dangers that were all around them. They didn't realize that there was a man there with an unclean spirit who would speak out against this Jesus of Nazareth. They didn't recognize the dangers that exist in the spiritual world very much sometimes, just like us today. We neglect the spiritual context that we live in. We tend to think, I only believe in what I see. And the things that we don't see, we tend to let... Fade away into our thinking and don't bring the spiritual world to bear into our daily lives very often Or as much as we need to But it is a reality that we live in a spiritual world not only a physical world They run alongside each other we are spiritual beings But also physical beings intertwined the spirit and the physical And we can't understand everything how that all works out how that all is to be And so And so We forget about it so easily. And that leads us to discomfort. That leads us to a place where we don't receive consolation from the Lord because we neglect him. As we neglect the spiritual aspects of our being. That we need to know God. We need to draw near to him. But he is spirit and we are not. And if we neglect the spirit and the spiritual in us, we will neglect God. But Jesus' authority will bring us back into that city of comfort despite us Forgetting despite us not recognizing he will bring us back to himself and works in us And it's done in his authority And we see in the second part of this after we think about the city of comfort that jesus has entered into To bring true comfort into that city with his very presence We hear of a grasping of authority We hear that He was teaching on that sabbath day in the synagogue And the people were astonished at the authority with which he taught They were astonished because he didn't teach as the scribes who would say as Moses said or as such and such rabbi said and that rabbi said this. Constantly going back and quoting other people all the time but never seeming to have a word from the Lord. They didn't speak with the kind of authority that Jesus could speak with. For Jesus can speak directly from his divine authority. He can speak and interpret scriptures in and of himself because he is the one who inspired those scriptures by the Holy Spirit. Both persons being fully God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, as well as the Father. Jesus can properly teach and interpret these scriptures. And he speaks, therefore, with an authority that the people have never recognized or heard of before. And they are amazed. They are astonished by what he does here in his teaching. And that astonishment, I think, may be rooted just in the fact that they had just gotten used to prophecies Not being fulfilled in their seeing. And so it's even more shocking to them. You see we heard in Deuteronomy 18 this morning that Moses said another prophet would come up after him. Would be raised up who will speak the word of the Lord. Who will bring the word of God to the people. And will explain the law and the prophets that were to come. That he would make sense of the word for the people. That is what Moses had done. He had stood before them and brought to them the words that God had spoken. And so another prophet would one day come up. And here is that prophet in their midst. There had been many prophets prior to Jesus who spoke God's word, who spoke with God's authority. But here was a man who spoke with his own authority for he was God himself. And therefore he spoke in God's authority because he is God. All these other prophets were Tiny fulfillments along the way of Elijah and Joshua, David, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel, Nahum, Hosea. All of these are truly prophets who come up after Moses, who fulfill an aspect of that prophecy, of that promise that Moses makes. But here is Jesus himself, the true one, the true prophet, the final prophet, the greatest prophet, who will... Speak with perfect authority. And the people are amazed. All except for one. And one of the things as you go through the gospel of Mark, you notice he loves this word immediately. That's how he moves the story along. You notice in verse 21, he said they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath. Suddenly it's the Sabbath day. And then Jesus teaches and everyone is astonished. And immediately there was in the synagogue. A man with an unclean spirit. Suddenly this man is just there in Mark's story. The man had been listening. The man had been in the midst of the people, but for Mark's story, immediately he's there and he speaks out. He cries out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Here we see this unclean spirit grasping for authority, grasping for who Jesus is, grasping at what he is doing. The people have turned their attention onto Jesus and they see and feel and sense and understand that he is an authority. He has the authority. And here comes this unclean spirit grasping for that same authority, grasping to undo some of Jesus' authority. For Jesus, being the Son of God, can reveal himself as he sees fit. But here's this unclean spirit saying, You're the Holy One of God you think that would be fine with Jesus to have someone confessing who he is like that. But this, I think, is coming out of a sense of the unclean spirit speaking up to grab hold of Jesus' Jesus's authority. To take control of his ministry in a way. By declaring who he is before Jesus is ready to declare who himself is. He cries out, you are the Holy One of God. But Jesus silences him. He just simply says, be silent and come out of him. Jesus re-exerts his authority in this moment. The demon, the unclean spirit, grasped at it. But Jesus would not let him take it. And he says, be be silent and come out of him. And he does. The unclean spirit tried to usurp Jesus' authority, but Jesus does not allow that to happen. He rebukes him. He quiets him. He shuts him down, exercising his authority over all things. He has spoken with authority, and now he acts in authority. Here, wrapped up in who he is, is a control of the spiritual world. Is a control over creation that no man has ever exercised as Jesus has. Jesus is here revealing himself fully and completely to the people without them fully and completely understanding or recognizing it. It's appropriate that a passage like this would be in the midst of Epiphany, this season of revealing, this season of manifestation. That Jesus can throw out this unclean spirit with but a word. That he can speak and use his words with perfect authority. Isn't that amazing that Jesus, being God's true word, come down from heaven, can use his words to exercise authority over an aspect of creation that no man can control. His simple words spoken with his own authority, which is the authority and power of God himself, throws down this demon out of this man, throws down this unclean spirit that would attempt to usurp Jesus' authority. Jesus doesn't say it with a magical incantation. He doesn't have some rote repetitious way of bringing out this demon. He just simply speaks. And it happens. His words in and of themselves contain enough power to remove the unclean spirit from the man. Jesus doesn't have to grasp for authority as others do. He simply has it. He is in charge. He is in control of the situation. He cannot be shaken By the spirit. And what's the result of him. Exercising his authority in this way. Speaking so well. Casting out this unclean spirit. Fulfilling this promise of Moses. In their midst of being. The true prophet. The people were all amazed. And so they questioned among themselves. What is this a new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. The people are again astounded and amazed at Jesus' words and his power, that he can cast out an unclean spirit, which is something they can't do. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. The spreading of Jesus' fame is a result of what happens. The spreading of Jesus' name is a result. Of him acting and revealing and manifesting who he is to the people. And it's a beautiful moment. It's a beautiful thing. So many like to talk about this messianic secret in the Gospel of Mark. Well, Jesus isn't being very secretive here. He acts as the Son of God. He acts as the Messiah. He doesn't always allow people to run out and tell everything about that moment. Yes, he does quiet some, but it always typically says they then just went ahead and told everyone about Jesus anyway. There is no secret to be had here. There is a slow spreading of who Jesus is, that Jesus remains in control of his ministry, remains in control of the timing and the hour of which he will be betrayed, of which he will go before Pontius Pilate, of which before he will go to the cross. He is in control. And doesn't let things spin out of control. But his fame spreads every time he does something. Every time he reveals who he is. More people know more about him. More people know a little bit more in understanding who he is. That he is the true prophet. He is the one who stands between us and God. That as Jesus' fame spreads, his ability to be our mediator spreads. For then people come to know him. They come to recognize him. They come to believe and trust in who he is. And that is the role of the mediator, to be the one that we trust in to stand between us and God. Because it's appropriate for there to be someone between us and God. That may seem strange to say, but it's true. Look back in Deuteronomy 18 and think about the words of what Moses said. He said that the people asked for him to bring them God's word after they heard God come down on the mountain and speak the Ten Commandments. They were scared out of their minds. They were scared witless by this manifestation of God Himself before them. And so they said, Moses, you go up and speak to God and bring His words back to us. And what did Moses say? God said, Exactly. That is good, that is right, that is appropriate, that they should request a mediator, that they should request one to stand between themselves and myself. We can't be directly in God's presence as we are. We have to have someone between us and the Father. We're dependent upon a prophet, just as Old Testament Israel there at Mount Sinai was dependent upon Moses to be their mediator. We, too, continue to remain and be dependent upon a mediator. We cannot be directly in God's presence because we are sinners. We cannot stand before him on our own. For to stand before him would be like a child who's broken all the rules of his parents, coming into his parents' presence and knowing that shame, knowing that he has done wrong. Maybe not knowing if his parents know he's broken all the rules or not, but knowing that swift destruction is about to come upon him. And doesn't know how to get out of it amplify that sense to infinity and beyond and that is how we feel before God in his presence We are stripped naked and beyond nakedness standing before God on our own Hence the people of Israel when they heard God's voice. They cried out for a mediator They saw in God coming down and hearing his covenant being set before them that they were sinners That they could not be in a holy God's presence as they are in themselves. And so they asked for someone to stand between them. And it was a good thing. It was pleasing to God to have a mediator. For that sets the standard that there will be a mediator between God himself and his people. There will be a mediator who stands up for us and carries us to God, but also carries God to us. We can't stand before God, but we can stand united to christ and that is why it's so important that jesus's fame spread after he's revealed after he's manifested because the spreading of his fame means his name is known means his acts are known means that people can look and see him and trust him we can trust him we can see that he is not just the true prophet but he is the messiah who stands and mediates perfectly between us and god bringing us god's word bringing us his law to convict and his promise to comfort. And then he carries us to God himself because he takes away our sins. He deals with what stands between us and God. He deals with what makes us incapable of coming before God. And in his dealing with that, He renews us and all of creation, for it is not just my individual sins or your individual sins, but sin itself that has infected all things, that has infected the world itself, that Jesus takes to the cross with him. He takes our individual sins and sin itself. And in his death and resurrection, he brings about the beginning of the renewal in himself, carrying it over to us and into creation, so that when he returns, this true prophet who is the perfect mediator Between God and his creation being both God and a creature. Being a true man. He renews all things by his power. He renews us and makes all things right again. The spreading of Jesus' fame and name brings more and more and more people to himself. Which means that his authority brings comfort to all of us. It carries us into a city of comfort, a city where we become the body of Christ and receive his spirit and receive the fullness of the promises of God in ourselves. And it's a glorious and beautiful thing that God gives us this mediator named Jesus. He gives us this true prophet to stand between us and himself that we would be healed and brought truly into God's presence through this man. And that is our hope and our peace and our comfort and our consolation in in the midst of the grave dangers. In the reality of our frailty and our brokenness, we have Jesus, the true prophet, the one who has perfect authority, the one who does and can and will always bring us into the presence of God and bring us perfect and true comfort.